Well, we're going to pray and break open the word. We're ready for Bible study. They're going to dig in deep. So we're going to get deep. All right. Thank you, Father. Uh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for um, giving you your grace and for settling me, Father. We thank you, Lord God, for um, this opportunity to come into your word and to eat the rich food that you've prepared for us to eat until we want no more. Thank you that we can drink until we thirst no more. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, to break open the word of life and show us things that we've never seen before. We thank you for being our helper, for being our friend, for being our strengthener um, in times of difficulty. We just thank you for giving us the grace that we need at every moment of the day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hallelujah. So today we're going to continue our series on prayer. Um, and um, we know that the Apostle Paul exhorted us to pray all kinds of prayer. And so far we've looked at the prayer of faith. We've looked at the prayer of agreement, praying in the spirit, intercession. We've kind of looked at a lot of different things. But today we're going to talk about the prayer of consecration and dedication. So um, it's also been referred to as a prayer of sanctification, a prayer of devotion, submission, the prayer of surrender, and it's also referred to as a wilderness prayer. Um, So when I was looking, when I was studying about about the prayer of consecration, um, what really stood out to me, well, first of all, a lot of what I what I saw when I was trying to find information about the prayer of consecration and how people approach it, what I found most of is what it's not. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, well, it was more teaching about the prayer of faith and don't use prayer of consecration rules when you're trying to pray the prayer of faith. So that's what I was finding mostly. But the prayer of con- that doesn't mean that we push it aside. You know, like it's a not important thing. Prayer of consecration is a very, it's an intimate and a special prayer. Um, And I was looking at it, and this is the prayer where we come out changed. So in the other types of prayer and prayer of faith and intercession, we're laying hold of by faith the things that we want to see changed in our surroundings. We want to see, you know, somebody get a healing or a breakthrough. We want to get a new job. We're praying for our leaders to see them change. We're praying for our household salvation and and that kind of thing, Um, the natural things that we desire. But with the prayer of consecration, we're being transformed. And we come out more devoted to the Lord um, and to his will for us. We are set free from the natural mindsets of unbelief um, that will entangle us and keep us bound. The prayer of consecration can happen in a moment where it's a moment where you where you choose to follow the Lord um, in a moment. But a lot of times when we come into a time of consecration, it becomes a season. Um, because if we'll look at the different times when Jesus, even himself, when he was praying the famous prayer of consecration that we see in the word of God, he had to go three separate times and pray the same prayer. And so it's kind of, it draws us into a season of being transformed and being changed. So um, it's setting ourselves apart to more clearly hear from God. So when I was doing a little word study, um, the word consecration in Hebrew is the word milu, milu. And um, that word actually means a setting, like setting stones in a setting. Um, That's consecration. 
and it's it's a setting and it's also the installation of priests or an installation into your calling so it sets you into your calling um it's the root word it's the root of that word is malah um which is one of the hebrew words that's translated consecrate and malah means to fill or to be full of to accomplish to confirm um to be in an end or to be satisfied and then the other word for consecrate is um, kadash, and that means to be set apart, um, to pronounce clean, um, either morally or, or ceremonially clean. So you're, it's a pronouncement of being cleansed. It's a dedication, a hollow, um, to be hollow or kept holy. And it's also uh, to prepare. Consecrate means to prepare or sanctify yourself. So throughout the Old Testament, these two com, um, concepts of being set in place and being set apart, they, they work hand in hand. So I'll show you an example of that in Exodus 28. So this is where um, the priesthood of Aaron was being established. In Exodus 28, um, verses 1 through 3, um, God was telling Moses, bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve as priests, Aaron and Aaron's son, and you shall make holy garments, the Kadesh, the set-apart garments for Aaron and your brother, for glory and for beauty. And you shall speak to all the skillful who have been made, who to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, so that I have filled was I've consecrated them with the spirit of skill. I have set them in a spirit of skill that they would make the garments that consecrate um, Aaron for the priesthood. So I, I think this is really cool because of um, the Lord is very mindful about the the gifts and the skills that he gives to people in such a way where it's like a set place you know it's it's consecrated to him when you have a skill that you can bring and and include into the into the worship he wants to include everything that we are everything that we do um so anyway i just wanted to bring that out i thought that was really cool uh exodus 28 um and verse 40 jumping down so in this all of exodus 28 he's bringing the instructions of how to make aaron's garments for the high priest garments and in verse 40 it says for aaron's sons you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them and you shall make for them hats for glory and beauty i like that glory and beauty um, so that you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and his sons with them, and you shall anoint them, consecrate them, which means set them in place, and sanctify them, set them apart, pronounce them as clean, and they shall minister to me as priests. So there's a cooperation in the consecration process. There's a cooperation between God and man in the consecration. So God chose Aaron and the sons to be the high priest and then they needed to be closed to designate their consecration and then they had to cooperate with what god had said so it wasn't just sovereign he would he invited them into it and then they had to respond and participate in it so we see a picture of this also in exodus 19 before god gave the law so um, starting in verse 1 in Exodus 19, he said, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of Egypt, on that day they came 
into the wilderness of Sinai. The wilderness is going to be important later on. And they set out from Redahim, I think, (laughs) and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So God has already gathered them to himself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So, So he gave to Moses what to say. And then the Lord, in verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and that may also believe you forever. So I'm doing this to validate your ministry, Moses. And when Moses told the words to the people of the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them, set them apart today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on the Mount Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So in this account, God chose to come and speak to the people, and he told Moses to consecrate them. So Moses was to consecrate the people pronounced them clean and to prepare them and then the people themselves were going to wash their own garments to be made ready for what God was going to say so God initiated the encounter and then Moses and the people responded to God's invitation so this is a picture of what consecration looks like in the um, New Testament we don't see really the I was looking for it you don't really see the word consecrate so much in the New Testament but you do see the word sanctify and its meaning is very similar um, the the word uh, for sanctify comes from the root, root word holy and it means holy pure blameless and worthy of veneration worthy of respect and that word holy is the same it's the same holy and holy spirit. So that's what holy is, is, is blameless and worthy of respect. And so when we are sanctified, we take on that same character. So sanctify means to make holy, to make pure, and to consecrate, to regard with great respect. And it means to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. So when you're consecrating things to God, or you're dedicating people to God. This is sanctify. It also means to purify, um, to cleanse externally, and to purify by expiation. So purify by extinguishing the guilt of sin. That's that's what we have in Christ. We have been sanctified. We have been purified by the um, extinguishing of our guilt. And it's not just the removal of our sin. It's the removal of our guilt for our sin. That's what we're purified um, we are also purified internally by the renewing of our soul, the renewing of our mind. So a lot of things, like we said before, there are things that are true about us but not true to us because we haven't let us sink down. This time of consecration, we can uh, we can step into that renewal of our mind to take on what God has said about us, what the truth of how clean we really are in him. Now, before Jesus' death, he prayed for his disciples in John 17. And um, starting in verse 13, it was um, 
he, Jesus was speaking to the Father. He said, now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. So remember, one of the Hebrew words for consecrate was fulfilled and or established. So Jesus, in this consecration prayer, he is reiterating that he wants he wants his joy to be established in his disciples because his joy is our strength. So that's what he when he's sanctifying us. And he said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In verse 17, it says, sanctify them. Purify them, separate them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So Jesus dedicated himself to God so his disciples would be dedicated, uh, purified, and relieved of their guilt. Amen. So he has... He sanctifies himself. So Jesus lived a dedicated, sanctified life. Um, and it was sanctified unto the will of the Father. And he would also say, I, 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 he would often say, I don't do anything except I see the Father doing it. I don't say anything in, unless I hear the Father saying it. So um, he's sharing this oneness that he has with the Father, and he invites us to step into it. Um, there were times that he voluntarily went into a secure secluded places to pray and he set himself aside to pray with his father in um, mark 1 verse 34 it says in rising very early in the morning while it was still dark he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed so jesus prayed in the wilderness and he chose to do it himself Um, this was not it doesn't say necessarily that the father told him to go he just voluntarily went and um, there's another place in Luke 5 um, where Jesus has just healed a leper and he told him don't tell anybody what happened to him but the leper was he said it anyway and in verse 15 he said even though jesus said not to talk about what happened soon every conversation was consumed with these events the crowds swelled even larger as the people went to hear jesus preach and to be healed of their many afflictions verse 16 jesus repeatedly left the crowds though stealing away into the wilderness to pray and the new king james it says that he himself often withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. So there are times when we can voluntarily, voluntarily draw away with God and where he says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. So we can separate ourselves into God and um, so we can hear him afresh. Um, there are times when God draws us into a seclusion um, so that we can confront the the devil we can confront things that are hindering us so there are times that we can draw ourselves away and then there are times that the spirit is calling us come 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 and we can see that um we need to to come away with him so we can confront things that we can't confront in the noisiness of the world um in mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 13 um it says in those days jesus from 
came from Nazareth to, of Galilee and was baptized by John in Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So here it is, he's baptized, heaven was ripped open, God said, I'm pleased with you. And then the spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. (laughs) And I just, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by, the, by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit to confront the devil. Okay, so at, at after the time the wilderness was over, he came out in the power of the Spirit, and he began his ministry. So there are times when we're pulled aside to... Um, to confront these things that have challenged us or things that would want to oppose us. And we need to sharpen our sword. We need to get in a place where we we can come out in the power of the spirit. And we can't enter into that without having that confrontation first. So um, wilderness, um, a lot of um, consecration and sanctification in the word of God is often associated with the wilderness. So we'll look at that for a minute. Uh, wilderness is a natural land that has not been modified by human activity. And the root word is wild, which means outside of human control. <laughs> so, so you're going to a place that is outside of human control. It's outside of your control. And you are completely submitting yourself to the creator. It's an undeveloped place with no modern infrastructure. So there's no interruption. When you go into the wilderness, there's no interruption by human ideas and human influence. It's a place of solitude. Um, sometimes when God calls us into a time of wilderness, you, you, it also includes a time of fasting where you can fast, um, you know, turn down the plate, you know, fast from food, but you can also fast from the television or whatever you usually listen to that usually feeds your soul, feeds your mind. You turn away from the distractions. And it's a picture of, you know, when Jesus said, when you go to pray, go into your closet and shut your door. It's that time of being alone with him so you can quiet yourself and hear from him. The wilderness is a place of total dependence on the creator. It's also a place of supernatural provision. In the word of God, you can see like the John, John the Baptist, he lived in the wilderness and he ate locust and wild honey. Elijah was fed by the ravens. The children of Israel received manna. They received water out of a rock. You know, so God always brought supernatural provision in the place of the wilderness. Um, so when... It shouldn't be a place that we struggle in going into. We should be willing to go in knowing that there's a, something new about the Lord that we're going to learn and something new about ourselves that we're going to learn. Um, we're going to be changed. E.M. Bounds, um, who wrote so many of his books on prayer, he defines consecration as the voluntary set dedication of oneself to God and offering definitely made made without any reservation whatsoever it is a setting apart of all that we are all that we have and all we expect to have or be to God first of all so we set everything aside to seek his face um, one of the most significant accounts where Jesus sanctified himself and dedicated himself to the will of the father is in Gethsemane 
So that's the one we always go to in our mind where he said, not my will, but yours be done. So he prayed at Mount Olives um, in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's, his arrest. And uh, we're going to look at a couple accounts of that in, and just bring out some of the things. In Mark 14, verse 32, when he went to the place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to, said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. In verse 36, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And when he came and found them sleeping, he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. So before Jesus prayed, he was greatly distressed and he was troubled. His soul was very sorrowful. It was it was a pressure on him that he hadn't experienced before. Gethsemane um, is the name uh, at the name of the place at the foot of Mount Olive. So there's a place. It look it seems to be an olive grove there, and Gethsemane was um, a place just beyond the brook um, Kidron, and the name actually means an oil press. So it's very possible that that's where they where they crush the oil there. It's a place of crushing. And so it's a place um, when God draws us into Gethsemane and into consecration, it's a place where what's good in you comes out and what's not necessary is discarded. Um, in order to get the olive, olives, um, olive oil from the olives, they had to crush the olives into the Isle of Press to extract the oil. And how fitting is it for our Savior to pray an agonizing place in the place of the crushing? Um, where we can see the, the goodness that came from him. And this was something that he was willing to do. I was thinking about it. He was willing. This is part of the sacrifice he made for us, is that he allowed himself to be crushed. There was um, in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 10, it says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So it was the it was it pleased the father to crush him so that um, that his soul would be an offering for our guilt. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted for righteousness. So he did all this so that we would be accounted for righteousness. Hallelujah. And he bore the iniquities of us all. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So this is what he did. He stepped into the agony 
of what it is to carry sin and, and what we have to deal with as humans to carry sin in our soul because of living in the earth and living under a fallen nature. He stepped into that in the agony of his soul and he was crushed and he, and he allowed himself until his soul was satisfied. So, um, the prayer was hallmarked, the prayer of, um, of the sanctification, the prayer of consecration was hallmarked by the phrase, yet not my, what my will is, but what your will is. So during the prayer of consecration, we're laying aside our own agenda and we're picking up the will and the plan of our Father. Remember that even though the consecration is initiated by Father, it, it requires our cooperation. So he wants us to yield and say yes to him. And from this account, it looks like he prayed three separate times. So every time he went up and he said, Father, please let this pass, but yet not my will, but yours, please let this pass. You know, so he keeps going back. And this is a um, a wrestling, these moments of wrestling where the spirit is willing, but the human soul is frail and is weak. And um, when we're in a place of consecration, it's not a once and done kind of prayer. It's a time of decision. And Jesus tells us to count the cost. And so he allows us that space to do it. So when Jesus was wrestling with the father like this, the father didn't see this as a, as a rebellion. So when we find ourselves in a place of being pressed, um, don't get under condemnation about how your soul responds to it. You know, I think sometimes we were like, man, I don't want, you know, I want to be able to just slide with it and be happy with everything God is doing, but this is hard. <laughs> this is not easy. And God knows it's not easy, and Jesus knows us. That's why he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I know how hard it is to be human. I've been here now. I know how it is, and forgive them. And so when the Jesus was always without sin, so that wrestling must not have been sin. You see what I mean? So, so this is, this, when we're in a place of consecration, we're in a private place with the Father. And He's already, everything is already naked and open before Him. So He is not surprised by our response, but He's willing to work with us to get us to the place because He knows what He's invested on the inside of us. He knows the good oil that is in us. And it's just a little pressing. It's a, it's a minor pressure that feels like it's agony, but it's a minor pressure that we're going to see the result and the reward of it on the other side. So, um, don't let yourself get condemned when you're in agony about what the Father is requiring of you. Instead, stay in the struggle until your soul is satisfied and you're willing the way your soul is willing the way that your spirit your spirit is already willing. Your spirit is already saying yes to the Father. So you, we just have to get the rest of our <laughs> rest of our being in tune with what our spirit is saying. So um in Luke twenty two, this is Luke's account, um and he said when he came out and went, as his custom was, to the Mount of Olives, the disciples followed him. So this place in the garden where he prayed, it looks like he probably has gone to this place several times to pray. So he came out as his custom was to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, 
nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So even though Jesus invited the disciples to come and pray with him, he also withdrew from them in order to pray to the Father alone. So this is not something that can be really done in a corporate setting. Um, This is a time of quiet intimacy with the Father. Um, To strip yourself of whatever might be holding you bound, and it's a sincere seeking of God with all your heart. When Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done, an angel came to strengthen him. So when you're in the time of difficulty in the wilderness, God will always send you help. Here, an angel came to strengthen him when he was uh, being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. When he confronted the devil, the angel came and ministered to him. And he can, um, and he will come and he will bring the supernatural help that you need and the strength that you need to come through on the other side. And when Jesus continued to pray, even in agony, the angel continued to strengthen him and prepare him for the moment of his betrayal. Let's look at John 18. And um, in John 18, it starts um, in verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words. So what words is he talking about? He's talking about the high priestly prayer that he prayed in John 17. So in John 17, 1, where he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, the son Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given me given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth and have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So I believe that this this prayer right here is John's account of the same prayer where he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your be done. And when he said that, he said, now glorify yourself. Father, glorify yourself. This is This is exactly what I came to do. So he was totally submitted to the will of the Father, and he was strengthened with the Spirit to face what was coming. So after he had prayed all this, going back to John 18, verse 1, he said, when Jesus had spoken these words, when he he went with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, with, with which he and his disciples entered. I'm sorry. And verse 2, now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met his disciples there. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said, Whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed them, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So they were all slain in the spirit by him saying, I am. And he asked again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that was spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not lost one. So um, when Jesus did not go to the crucifixion as a victim, like 
I don't want to go. And they drag him along. When it, it says there in verse 4, when Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he stepped forward. He stepped right into it. And that, to me, is just so powerful. He came out of his time of prayer no longer distressed. He was no longer sorrowful. He did not regret what he was about to do. He knew what was going to happen, and he stepped right into it. He came in total bravery and total courage. And um, Now, John is the only gospel writer who points out the fact that the garden was across the brook Kidron, and Kidron was significant in Israel's history. And it was a place of revival a lot of times, but it was also a place of cleansing. And um, if we look at um, 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 11, well, this is one of the kings, King Asa, Asa. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done, and putting away the male cult prostitutes out of the land, he removed all the idols that his father had made. And he also removed his mother from being the queen mother because she had made an abominable image to Asherah. And Asa cut, cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. So Asherah was a goddess. Um, that the Israel's had, Israelites had adopted and had set it next to the Ark of the Covenant and were worshiping Asherah as though she was God's wife. So that's, so there was, there was like this competition or this joining of this, of the God of Israel with this foreign God together, um, in the holy place. And so when Asherah was cleaning out everything, he, um, he removed that God. He removed the idolatry and he cut it down. He burned the image and it went, um, he burned it at the Brook Kidron. A lot of times those ashes, they would throw them in to the river or to the brook and they would not be able to be reassembled. Um, so this is the place when we come into a place of um, consecration and God is confronting us and dealing with us. So a lot of times he'll show us idolatry that we've let accumulate in our hearts, you know, where we have picked up another God that was not the true and living God. Um, And this is the place where that gets burned and washed away. You know, these things are are let go of. Um, There's another account there in um, 2 Kings 23 uh, where the king commanded um, Hilkah, the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made to Baal and this Asherah again and all the hosts of heaven, which was the Zodiac. And he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And then it goes on again in verse 6. And he brought out Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and he burned the brook burned it at the brook of Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust upon the graves of the common people. So it, if you read through the whole thing, there's all these, the Kidron was a place of cleansing and it was a place to carry away these things. The place of consecration is a place where idols were removed and burned in the fire. Um, the idolatry that was present at this time was the sexual idolatry that was also present in Corinthians, in the Corinthian church. And that's why Paul reminded them, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't connect yourself to prostitutes. Don't connect yourself. It wasn't as much about the sexual immorality as it was about the idolatry. They went hand in hand. And in um, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, he said, 
such were some of you. You know, where he was listing out all the sexual immorality, he said, such were some of some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And then in verse 12, it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. So even though there's you're you're already forgiven, there's no law against doing this. It's not good for you to do this. You know, it's not helpful for you to participate in that kind of orgy worship. Is that all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then in verse 17, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from all sexual immorality. Every other person who commits the sin outside of the body Every other per, every other sin of a person commit is outside of the body, but sexual immorality is um, it, it, he sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So a lot of times when people fall into this kind of idolatry, they've forgotten that the Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside of them. That they've been sanctified, they've been purified, they've been cleansed, and they can live in a higher way. So when God brings us to a time of separation and sanctification, he reminds us of who we are in him and the great price that he paid for us. In verse 20, he says, you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Amen. So um, the prayer of sanctification, Jesus is our sanctification. He is our righteousness. In 1 Corinthians one twenty-eight, it says that God chose what was low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So he was telling, and Paul was saying in chapter six, you were washed, you were sanctified. Jesus is your sanctification. So why is it important for us to continue to pray a prayer of sanctification? You know, if it's already done already, why do we have to keep going here? Well, I think that um, a part of it is like what we were saying before is there's there are things we are being renewed day by day, um, and there are things. We're in an ever-increasing kingdom. There are things that we're discovering more and more every day. So there are things that we are discovering about a redemption more and more in the deeper understanding and a deeper revelation. And there are things that are true about us that are not true to us. So when we come into a place of sanctification, he opens our eyes to see the beauty of what he has done for us. And when we realize that we've been cleansed, that we belong to him, we can set aside those things that so easily entangle us. So it's like a subjective versus objective revelation. It's like, by Jesus stripes I am healed, but my back is in pain. You know, it's like, so we need to lay hold of the truth that we're truly healed and let that healing have a manifestation in our body. It's the same way in our soul. We need to lay hold of the sanctification that we've received by in Christ and let, let him wash us over and cleanse us from everything that holds us back. Um, sometimes the dust of the world has clouded our vision. We're walking through a dusty world and we need to be washed with the water of the word and let Jesus wash our feet and remove the things that weigh us down. I mean, I remember there was a, there was a time in worship, 
I was at my church and I was just worshiping the Lord and just meditating on him. And I had, it was kind of like a, a vision or a picture of him where he was washing my feet. And, you know, and I was just kind of taken back by that. I was so overcome by that. And I, when I looked down at, at him, he was, it was like a man on his knees proposing. And, um, and it let me know that there was, there was something on the inside of me that was prohibiting me from saying yes at that moment. And, um, and so he, it exposed the idolatry of the fear of man, of, of the things that I would have to walk away from in order to, to say yes to him as my husband. So, so it, but it was in that moment and it was such a beautiful thing, but it impacted me so strong. But it was in that time where he was, he was washing, he was washing my feet. He was getting rid of the things that weighed me down. And, and it was because he wanted this intimate relationship. He wanted this one-on-one and, you know, I, I said yes to him, but I, I was surprised at how long I hesitated. You know, I, I would have, of course, yes, amen. <laughs> Marry me, you know. <laughs> but I, but there was something there that I didn't know that he knew was there. And he used that moment of consecration to, to point it out and remove it from me. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, he separated our sins from us. He just removes it from us. And so I'm very grateful for that. So um, coming into a time of sanctification, um, it can be like a renewal of our vows to him, like a like a honeymoon, you know, where you go back to him and you remind him how much you love him and he reminds you how much he loves you. Um, but it also can be a time where you can be vulnerable with him and let him heal your brokenness and restore your soul. Um, when we consecrate ourselves to the Lord, um, we should be conscious of giving him everything that we are and everything that we are not. We are, like I said, laid open before him. And God shows himself strong most effectively in our weaknesses. Um, so we don't have to feel that we have to hide our weakness from him. We don't have to prove anything to him. We don't have to be strong for him. You know, we can be vulnerable and let him come in and undertake for us. He knows everything about us and he loves us unconditionally. So don't hold anything back from him, even in our weakness. During times of consecration, I will often take communion. Um, and at the table of communion, I'm reminded of the covenant that I have with him, and I can freely exchange my weakness for his strength. So um, sometimes I'll do where I'll have like two sides of my weakness, and I'll I'll even write down the things that that I'm letting go of or things that I need his help with, and I'll write them down on the left hand side. On the right hand side, I have his strengths, the things that I'm believing in him for. And at that table of communion, I received that exchange. Um, in uh, Isaiah 61, he talks about the exchange of the new covenant. And he said that he's giving us beauty for ashes. Um, so I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm reading from the message translation. It says, The Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the to the poor. See, this is Jesus's ministry, and this is the ministry of the new covenant. He and he sent me to preach the good news to the poor, heal the broken, heal the heartbroken, announce freedom to all captives, 
pardon all prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of his grace, celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn, to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, to give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, praising heart instead of a languid languid spirit, rename them oaks of righteousness, a planted by God to display his glory. They'll rebuild the old ruins and raise new city out of the wreckage. So at the table of communion, it becomes a place of restoration and beauty, glory and beauty. And we can let go of everything as an offering to the Lord and freely receive the freedom um, and the strength that can only be found in him. In Romans 12, um, it talks about that we have that we live as a living sacrifice and in the message translation it's, it says here's what i want you to do to do with god's help take your everyday ordinary life your sleeping eating going to work walking around life and place it before god as an offering embracing what god does for you is the best thing you can do for him i'm just going to say that again Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't be so, become so well-adjusted with your culture that you fit in to it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So the end result of this kind of submission and surrender is that God brings the best out of us. When when we go through this, God is bringing the best out of us. And one of my favorite pictures of this in the Word is in um, of devotion in the wilderness, and this moment is in the Song of Solomon. It is a love story between the bridegroom and his beloved and um it really like like a love story with the shulamite bride and and the bridegroom and as well as those standing by we are the bride of christ and we can see him calling us out of the distractions of life to be with him and when we can see ourselves the way he sees us in the in this moment so in the song of solomon um chapter one verse four She is saying, so it reads like a play, so it goes back and forth, and she is saying to him, take me away with you. Let's run away together. So that's where we can initiate it with God. Come on, (laughs) let's go away together. And um, in chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, she's saying, my beloved spoke. So he's talking, she's talking about what Jesus said to her. He said, my beloved spoke and said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For though the winter has passed, the rain has gone. The flowers have appeared on the earth, and the time for singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig puts forth her figs. And the vines, the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. O dove in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, which is the place of wilderness and seclusion, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. So we can all always call upon Jesus to make a way of escape for us 
And we can also allow him to call upon us to come away with him and spend time with him because he wants to show his specific love to us. He wants to show us the things that we haven't seen before about us. And so we can let go of the things that we have picked up as our false security, those fig leaves that we would try to cover up our nakedness in front of him. He wants to strip those things away so that he can really be a help to us. He can really heal us and he can really strengthen us. He draws us away into a quiet, safe place where we can be vulnerable and find our strength in him alone. And this is my favorite. In um, in um, the same book, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5, The chorus is saying, who is this coming out from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? The message translation said, who is this I see coming out of the country, arm in arm with her lover? And that's who we are. And the end result of our time in the wilderness is that we can lean on him. We can be arm in arm with him and let him be our strength and prepare us for what's coming next. And we can laugh without fear of the future. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, Father God, we thank you so much for what you're calling us into. And we say yes and amen to it, Lord God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you draw us away with you. And we thank you that we can we can draw away with you and that you can speak to us the secret things that we need to hear, that you show us the hidden treasures of darkness, the things that are um the Christ in us, the hope of glory, the treasure that you have set on the inside of us, Lord God. We just thank you for the setting and for the setting apart, Lord God. We thank you so much for your love for us. And we believe, we know and believe the love that you have for us. And we will not resist it. We will not draw back from it. And we say yes and amen to it because we know that you have only good things in store for us. And we love you and we bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. See you on Sunday.